Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. And I'm excited about our Peaks and Valley series as well. We've been talking about the ups and downs of life, and specifically looking at the life of Elijah and how his life has high peaks and low valleys. And I've been loving it because all of us in life can, can relate to these moments. These moments where we feel like we are on top of the world, and then these moments where we feel like the world and the weight of the world is on top of us. And so there are peaks and there are valleys, but God is there through it all. And I think it's interesting in the life of Elijah that he goes through something that I think many of us go through from time to time. Just about the time we think we're going to hit our peak, we somehow find ourselves in the deepest valley we've ever been to. And so we are going to be talking about this thought, defeating the valley of depression. Defeating the valley of depression. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, in the life of Elijah in this moment. Um, But before we get there, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story growing up. Um, Growing up, I absolutely loved basketball. Played basketball all the time. Shot hoops every day. And, And like, this was my life growing up. And I always got to say this because you guys look at me and you see this vertically challenged little man up here using the word basketball and you're like, man, you are crazy. And my, my response is, I didn't know I was going to be this short. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be five foot seven. And also, um, having talked about my kids, please keep my wife and I in your prayer. She is five foot one. And so she is vertically challenged as well. And so our kids, have, they have no chance I'm like, you better start with ping pong young, MJ, because I don't know if you're going to be able to play, play basketball. But, uh, you know, my prayer for my kids is just mediocrity when it comes to height. <laughs> Lord, just, just help them be normal. Just help them be medium. Um, but, but we're excited about it. And so I played basketball growing up. Absolutely loved it. And uh, spent so much time doing it that I was able to, be, to become successful uh, around, in that sport. And my senior year of college was when I hit my stride. My senior year of college, I'm captain of the basketball team. I'm one of the leading scorers in the nation. Uh, Papers are writing articles about me. Opposing coaches are coming up to me after the games just talking about me. And I I was at a tiny little Bible school, so it wasn't like I was this big crazy at this big crazy school doing awesome things. But still, for me, this was like my peak moment. The moment I thought, this is it. I have finally arrived. I have hit my stride. I've hit my peak, and I'm loving it. This is awesome. And then uh, I'll never forget about 10 games into the greatest season of my life by far. Uh, There's someone dribbling down the court, and I see him coming, and I stand there, and I take a charge. As I take a charge, I go to the ground, and my shoulder completely pops out of socket. And not in the way that, like, you can shove it back in, but in the way that they had to put me to sleep to get it back in. And I remember laying there in the most painful moment of my life, screaming. I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of there. Like, I just had to lay there with my arms straight out to the side, yelling, because it was so excruciating. And in fact, it was so painful. Like, have you ever been in so much pain that it's almost like you lose Jesus a little bit? Like, I was so painful. It was so much pain, I turned angry. I'm like, give me something for the pain. Take it away. Do something. I don't care. Like, I turned into this person. My, my older sister was there, and uh, she said, RJ, I have never seen you like that. 
I didn't know that you could even be like that. Like, she was like, you lost Jesus. I'm like, oh, I still love Jesus. I just was hurting. And so I was in so much pain. I'll never forget the EMTs come, and they put my arm in this brace that sticks it straight out, and they wheel me out the gym, and it was just so, so excruciating. And uh, as they're wheeling me down the hallway, I'm already angry. I'm already in a ton of pain. And then in front of me, uh, I see this sight that I still see in some of my worst nightmares because they're wheeling me down with my arm straight out, and in front of me is a doorway. Just a doorway, right? And these guys are trained professionals. They got to see this doorway with my arm sticking straight out, and they do not see this doorway. With my, and I'm seeing it, and I'm like, guys, door, door, there is a door coming, and they run my dislocated shoulder directly into that doorway, and it was one of those moments where, like, if I lost Jesus by the pain before, then this just made, makes a Christian want to punch somebody because I was in so much pain. Like, Lord, please get me out of this moment, and uh, I'll never forget the pain of that moment, um, but the truth was there was a lot worse pain than the physical pain of that moment. I'll never forget the emotional pain that came as a result because this was a dream I dedicated over 20 years of my life towards. I'd worked every, almost every day, uh, almost every single day of my life for this moment. And just about the time I finally think I am there, I am at the peak, I have arrived, it all comes crashing down to a point lower than any other point I've ever been. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, crying myself to sleep because I was so disappointed. How could this happen at the greatest moment of, of my basketball career? I'll never forget so dis getting so discouraged that I stopped going to church. I'll never forget being angry at God, pushing friends, pushing teammates away, isolating myself in a moment of self-pity, discouraged, depressed, anxious. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to uh, hang with anyone. I just wanted to be. This is horrible. And it was one of the lowest moments of my life. I was depressed and discouraged. But the truth is, this is how life works. Every one of us, uh, we have these moments. We have ups, we have downs. We have peaks, we have valleys. And sometimes in life, just about the time we think we're going to hit the peak, something happens, and we find ourselves in a place of pain, in a place of discouragement, uh, in a place of just emotions and dealing with things that we never saw coming. Maybe you're here and you prayed and prayed. You dreamed of getting that dream job, right? And finally you got the dream job and you're like, yes, this is it, the peak, I have arrived, only to get let go shortly after. Uh, maybe you're here and you've prayed and you've prayed for the dream guy, the dream girl, and finally you start dating someone, and you're like, this is it. This is the one in Jesus' name. And you're like, this is the peak. It doesn't get any better than this. And then they dump you a few months later. Right? We can relate to that. Uh, or, or some of us were here, and we've prayed, and we've prayed to get pregnant. And finally, you got pregnant. It's like, yes, God, you have answered our prayers only to have a miscarriage shortly after back down to the valley. Some of you, you've married that person of your dreams, right? You, you've exchanged vows, but somewhere along the way, something happened, and instead of holding that person hand in hand, exchanging your love, you find yourself at the opposite end of a courtroom, battling it out in divorce. See, in life, we can go from the peaks to the valleys, 
pretty, pretty quick. And life is full of these moments. And I believe that today God has a word for us when these unexpected moments happen. When these moments and these seasons of discouragement and, and depression or anxiety, and maybe you're here and on the outside everything looks like you're at the peak, but on the inside there's just this gnawing feeling like, man, is this really it? I believe God's got something for you as well. And this is exactly what happens to, to Elijah. This is exactly where Elijah goes, from the peak to the valley. So I want to talk about uh, him going from the peak to the valley, and then I want to talk about how God got him out and how God's going to get us out as well. So how to go to the, from the peak to the valley in four easy steps, in four easy steps. So go to the peak to the valley in four easy steps from the life of Elijah. But first you have to understand who Elijah was, the story of Elijah. So if you remember, Elijah goes to the evil king Ahab. And he tells him, no rain is going to come until I tell the rain to come. Poof, the heavens shut up and no rain comes, right? It's awesome. And then God leads Elijah to a place of isolation, a place of careth. And Pastor Chris talked about this a few weeks ago that uh, sometimes God leads us to that isolated place. He cuts us off from, you know, toxic things. Or, uh, but that isolation, when God leads us there, leads to intimacy, and so he takes Elijah there, and he provides for Elijah miraculously through ravens by bringing meat and bread and red meat and meat and some more meat for Elijah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I love food, and I love meat, and I think this might be scriptural evidence of why we won't be vegetarians in heaven in Jesus' name. I'm having some steak at my marriage supper of the lamb. I don't know what you're having, but I'm going to have some meat. Uh, but anyways, the ravens are bringing him food, and then all of a sudden the brook dries up, right? Uh, the, the drought comes, and so he has to go to the widow. Uh, and we talk, Pastor Chris talked about the widow last week and how God miraculously provided. God moved in power. In fact, for the first time in Scripture, someone is raised from the dead when the widow's son dies, and Elijah comes and raises him up from the dead. And, and then we're going to talk more about this next week is the big showdown on Mount Carmel. Here's, here's kind of the showdown in a nutshell. Elijah, one prophet of God, versus hundreds and hundreds of prophets of Baal. And the God who answered by fire is the one true God. And the prophets of Baal try and try to get their God to answer. Nothing happens. Elijah says one short prayer to God. Fire from heaven falls down, completely consumes everything up. Uh, the nation of Israel turns to God, right? And the, they, they kill the prophets of Baal uh, in that next moment as well. Like, it's just this awesome peak moment, this awesome, high, unbelievable moment. It's a crazy, one of the highest moments in Scripture. Uh, and then even after that, uh, you know, he goes out and he says, I see some rain coming. Pastor Chris talked about it. I hear the sound of rain coming. And uh, at that moment, King Ahab gets on his horse and his chariot and he books it back to his city. But Elijah, full of the power of God, just takes off running and he completely outruns that chariot and horse. So this guy, he not only calls fire from heaven, he outruns a horse in these supernatural powers. He raises someone from the dead. And then, right after this moment of him just the highest peak, of him just showing, proving to all of Israel that his God is the true God, chapter 19 happens. And I've come to find out that there's always a chapter 19 in our lives. And I even find it a little encouraging that a guy like Elijah, who was so close to God, he didn't even die. God just swept him up into heaven. He was so close to God that he didn't even die, but even someone like that had to go through a chapter 19, a valley that he didn't expect himself to be in, where he was discouraged, where he was down, he was depressed. And I want you to see how he 
got there. But watch what happens right after this great peak of his life and how verse 19 comes in and just completely wrecks him. So here's what happens in verses 1 through 3. When Ahab got home, the evil king, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. And verse 3, here's a crazy, the crazy moment. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is Elijah we are talking about. He just had one of the most powerful displays of God's power in all of history. Yet a woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he runs for his life. I'm like, what is going on here? And so I just want to talk to you about four easy steps to go from the peak to the valley, the valley of depression, discouragement, anxiety. So here's number one. The first step to go from the peak to the valley is burn yourself out. Wear yourself out. Just go and go and go and go. Uh, Here's what it says in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Some of us, were in this place where we look at our, our life, we, we, we feel a certain way, and we're kind of saying the same thing. Man, I've had enough. I have had enough. And then he says, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. I think, how did it go so low, so quick? How did he go from the peak to the valley just like that? And, and geographically speaking, he couldn't have run any far, farther south. In, in fact, as I began to study it, they said that he ran over 100 miles. This woman said something that he ran 100 miles. I ran a 5K one time, which was three miles, and I thought I was going to die. This dude ran 100 miles. He fled. He got out of there. He completely wore himself out. See, his life had been spiritual battle, prayer, relying on God, faith, spiritual battle, prayer, relying on God. And and finally, it comes to the point where where just something happens, and he runs, completely exhausts himself. And much like many of us, we're here and we wonder, why do I feel the way I do? Why do I feel down? Why do I feel discouraged? Why do I feel defeated? Why do I just got this feeling on the inside like there's something more and I'm just not quite getting it and I'm not good enough or I'm not not going to ever achieve what God has in store for me? Well, maybe we've just straight worn ourselves out. (laughs) Maybe we're just doing too much. And see, in our minds, a lot of times busyness equals success. So we fill our calendars. And even moms, you might be a mom working full time, taking care of your kids, going from activity to activity. And you're involved in church and uh, the PTA meetings, and you just got all this stuff going on, and you're wondering, why do I feel the way that I do? Maybe you're just wearing yourself thin, wearing yourself out. Or students, we got some students in the room that are taking 16 hours, and they're working, and they're trying to provide for themselves and, and pay for their, their bills, and sports is, is coming up, and, and you're looking, and you're going, 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 going every day, every night, and you're wondering, why do I feel so discouraged, so upset, so depressed? Others of us, it's not even a physical exhaustion, but it's more even mental. Our mind just goes and goes and goes. And we think about, oh, I'm the only one who cares. I've got to be there for them. I've got to take care of that. I've got to carry the weight of this. And we stress and over and over we're anxious. And we just think that I'm the one that has to carry this weight. But mentally, you're wearing yourself out. 
You're wearing yourself out. Uh, so number one, burn yourself out. Just go and go and go and go and physically exhaust yourself. That's going to get you from the peak to the valley. Number two, second way is shut others out. Shut other people out. Um, this is exactly what Elijah did. Here's what it says. It says, he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. His servant was his closest companion in life. And they got to a certain point. He said, you know what? You stay here. I'm going to go off by myself into the wilderness another day, day's journey. He shut people out. Those who, who knew him best and cared for him the most shut him out. And quite honestly, this is what we do when, when we get overwhelmed, right? When we have these feelings and we're going through this season, uh, we say, I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to let you get through because even if I did let you through, you wouldn't understand what I'm feeling, what I'm going through anyways. So we give him the Heisman stiff arm. Uh-uh. You're not getting close to me. Uh-uh. You, okay, you want in? Nope, I'm going to shut you out. We push people away. And, and I hate to say it, but this is exactly what I do. When I get worn out, when I get tired, when uh, my feelings get the best of me and I feel overwhelmed, I shut people out. I think they don't know what I'm going through. I remember when, when my arm got dislocated, I shut my coach out, my teammates out. I sat by myself. Like, I just wanted to push them away. I didn't want to go to practices. Uh, I just was, like, so discouraged. I didn't go to church. Like, I just completely isolated myself, shut people out, and, and it was in an unhealthy way. Um, and men, when we start feeling a little discouraged, uh, a little overwhelmed, we are very, very good at shutting people out, especially the one who cares for us the most our wives, right? Have you ever noticed that? Like my wife who cares for me the most, there are times I just feel a certain way and she's talking and she's talking and I'm like, man, she's still talking. And like I hear her, but I don't listen to her. And then wives, you're smart, right? Wives are smarter than us. So they, they ask this question, RJ, are you even listening to a word I'm saying? And you know our response, guys, every time they ask us that question, yes. Yeah, I hear you, of course. And then they follow up with this one. Then what did I say? You know what you said. I don't have to tell you what you said. Tell me, what did I say? Like, guys, we don't ever just come clean and say, oh, babe, you caught me. I, I was zoning out. I wasn't listening to you. I'm sorry. We always take a guess, right? We always take a shot in the dark. Like, I, I mean, you were talking about finances. I don't, you know, I mean. You weren't listening to a word I was saying. And it's just like, ah, I tried to shove her out and push her out. I didn't even give her attention to listen in that moment. But we're good at this. What's really awesome is those moments when we take a shot in the dark every now and then. It's like, ah, oh, you were talking about, about uh, family. And she's like, oh, you were listening. Thank you. I'm like, yes. When? God, thank you. I owe you that one right there. Uh, but this is exactly what we do. When we feel this way, we shut others out. Elijah shut others out. I want you to see where it's leading him. Uh, the third thing that Elijah does uh, to get depressed, wears himself out, shut, people's out, shut people out, and compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to others. Verse 4, here's what he said. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Check this out. For I am no better than my ancestors. And you know what's funny? Is no one was making that comparison except Elijah. <laughs> No one was asking Elijah if he was better than his ancestors. He just was comparing himself to others. And this is what happens. When we start comparing ourselves to others, we start exaggerating. Self-pity starts taking over. And what self-pity does is leads us down this road of thinking, I'm never going to be any good. 
I'm never going to be successful. I'm stuck in this point of my life forever. My life's never going to change. Why can't I just be like them, look like them, end up like them, have their finances, have their charisma? Why can't I just do things like them? I'm never going to be like that. Why would, why would they ever give me the promotion after what I've been through? My kids, my family, they're never going to come back to Christ. I mean, it's crazy. And we kind of just get into this self-pity mode. And, and we think, you know what, after that box of Dunkin' Donuts, I will never fit into those jeans ever again. Thank you, Hollywood. You know, and, and like this is where our mind goes. But what we do is we focus on all the negative, none of the positive, when we start comparing ourselves to others. In fact, you want a, a sure way to get depressed? Here it is. Get on Facebook. <laughs> Get on Facebook and especially look at other people in your field. Look at other people around you that, you that are doing what you're doing. And you'll see like hashtag success, hashtag blessed, right? And I'm a youth pastor, so I understand this. I got friends that are youth pastors and pastors all around the, the nation. And I look at what they're doing and it makes me feel so small. I will never end up like them. What do they got that I don't? Man, how did they get there? And man, I'm just, it just makes me feel so small. But can I give you a little hint, uh, a little something that I think hope will free some of you up today? Facebook isn't real. Social media isn't real. If social media w w was real, we wouldn't post the pictures of our family portrait where we're all standing just right and the light's perfect and it took 500 takes to finally get everyone to smile and, and looking good and eyes are open. Uh, we wouldn't post those pictures. We would post of the times when our two-year-old is throwing a big, huge fit because his granola bar broke in half and he wants it back together. Like, that is my life. I've had a two-year-old do that. That's real life. Ladies, young people, young people, you did not wake up like that. All right, when you're posting those selfies, age of selfie, day of selfie, psh, woke up like this. No, you didn't. You did not. You woke up. You did your hair. You did your makeup. You, you got made look just right. You took 500 pictures. You made sure the angle was right, the lighting was right. Psh, woke up like this. No, you did Facebook is not real. What we do is we put our best parts out there and try to hide everything else. Around it. So stop looking at others. That means we don't have to look at faith. We don't have to look at others to get our value because it's only going to leave us feeling empty every time. The fourth thing, the final thing that, that to get us from the peak to the valley in four steps is forget what God has done. See, Elijah, the man who called fire from heaven, who raised the dead, who was fed by ravens, I look and I see where he's at saying he wants to die. And I'm like, man, did you forget what God has brought you through? Did you forget what God just used you to do? Like, man, how could you forget something like that? It sounds crazy, but as I look at my life, I realize I do it too. This is what I do. I can look back at the faithfulness of God in my life, times that he was there. I can look back in college when he provided financially in a miraculous way when I prayed and I said, God, I am not going to be able to pay for next semester, and if this is really where you want me, then you're going to have to do something. And somehow a check showed up in, in my, my mailbox saying I got a scholarship that I didn't even know was out there. And I was the recipient of it. I'm like, oh, man, praise God. I've had times where God has provided for me and my wife in, in a moment when we've given 
uh, at a point in our life when we didn't feel like we, we could afford to give, but we gave and we trusted God, and he, we got something back in return that was exactly 10 times the amount we gave. I'm like, wow, God, you are big. You are unbelievable. Uh, there have been times he's comforted me. There's been times I've seen people healed. I've experienced God in ways so real that I will never ever deny his existence. Like, I've had these moments in my life, moments that, that I know I've trusted him and relied on him, yet when I feel down, when I feel these valleys of discouragement, depression, when I'm in that, that valley, I begin to wonder, man, does he even care? I forget about the faithfulness of God and ask God, are you there? Do you care? And some of us were here today, we find ourselves in that same season that same valley, wondering if God has forgotten about us. We're burnt out, we're wore out, we've shut others out. We're looking at others, wondering what's wrong with me, and we've forgotten all about how God has moved in our life. Four easy steps to go from the peak to the valley. But can I tell you that God has an answer for it? Because this is a church and this is a place where, where we say this sometimes, that it's, it's okay not to be okay. Right? You don't, you're not perfect. That's why I'm not pretending to be perfect up here. I know I'm not. Uh, it's okay not to be okay, but God loves us too much to let you stay that way. He loves you too much to let you stay that way. So Pastor Chris a, a, week, a few weeks ago talked about the valley of isolation and how God led Elijah to this valley, the Kareth, uh, where he was cut off from everything and everyone, and God was miraculously providing. And when God led him to isolation, see, when God leads us to those isolation seasons, he provides for us. It leads to intimacy. There are other times where our own emotions, our bad decisions uh, lead us to that valley of isolation, and it doesn't get the same result. But whether your bad actions have led you to feeling the way you feel, whether your negative thinking has led you to feeling the way you feel, no matter what it is, whether you're like Elijah, you were wore out, shut people out, uh, discouraged, you forgot about God, whatever led you to the valley you're in, God loves you too much to let you stay there. So even Elijah, who shouldn't have been in that valley, God says, I care for you too much to let you stay there, so let me show you how to get out. And I want to look at that because some of us uh, can relate to this, and God, I think, is going to speak to us through this. And so God sends him an angel. And I love this because when he sends the angel, I want you to see what he doesn't send with it. He doesn't send an angel to preach a sermon. Oh, what? He doesn't send an angel to pray. He doesn't send an angel to read a scripture from the Bible. He doesn't even send the angel to correct him or rebuke him, saying, ye of little faith, why have you run? Why have you done this? He doesn't send an angel to rebuke Elijah. There's nothing negative. Uh, he doesn't tell him, quit acting like a baby, Elijah. Come on, let's do this thing right. The first thing he tells Elijah to help him defeat the valley of depression, to help him defeat the valley of discouragement, is simply this. Very practically, he says, eat and rest. <laughs> have something to eat. Rest. And I'm going to add this on to the end of it. And, and go to church. And go to church. And, and here's what he says. I want you to look at this portion of Scripture. And I want you to look at all the times it talks about resting and all the times it talks about eating. <laughs> Check this out. Verse 5. Right, Elijah just said, I'm, take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then in verse 5, he laid down and slept. He rested. He slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, get up and What? Eat. Eat. You need some physical strength. You have worn yourself out, Elijah. You need to rest and you need to eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread and hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank. And what did he do? He laid down again. 
he rested some more. And then the angel of the Lord came and touched him again, and he said, get up and eat (laughs) some more. There's a lot of eating and a lot of drinking in this part of Scripture, or uh, eating and resting. And I love it because I'm like, this is my perfect day. If I could just spend a day sleeping and eating and resting, like, that is heaven for me. (laughs) I would love that. But uh, I begin to wonder as I look at this scripture, as I look at how wore out and exhausted he was, and as I look at our culture here in the 21st century and how we are go, 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 push, 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 I begin to wonder if one of the most spiritual things we could do today is get some rest, is eat. See, I think one of the easiest commandments for us to look over is when God says, remember the Sabbath, take a day of rest. You need some time. Eat something. Get some rest. Is it possible that, that, that you've been going so much that, that what God is asking you to do is just get some rest physically? Not go to another prayer meeting, not, you know, go and read your Bible in a moment, but maybe you're here and you just need to go and rest. And I know what you're saying because I think the same thing too, but you don't know what I've got to do. You don't know what, I, what, what I'm carrying. You don't know the load that I'm holding. You don't understand my life and my schedule. But I think God would, would tell us today, you know, you need some rest. If the dishes need to wait another day, if the laundry needs to wait another day, you know what? Get some rest. If the grass needs to, to wait a week to get mowed, you know what? That, that's okay. You need to get healthy. You know, what is it that you need to do? Maybe the most spiritual thing you could do is rest, is rest. And God lets Elijah rest. Take a nap. Eat some food. And then he says this in verse 8. The food gave him strength, right? The food gave him strength. The rest gave him strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to where? Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. In fact, that's where uh, God came to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. So he says, I want you to eat. I want you to rest. I want you to recover physically, but also I care about you spiritually. And so I want you to go to a place where you're going to meet with me. That's why I say eat, rest, and go to church. Go to a place where you're going to meet with God. And this is a place where I hope you feel encouraged, where I hope you feel loved. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, a place where you can find friendships and and hope. And so he says, eat, rest, and go to church. And the next thing he tells Elijah is this, replace our opinions for God's truth. You want to defeat the valley of depression? Replace your opinions with God's truth. Because in these moments, in these tough valleys, it's easy to, to treat our opinions like God's truth. And this is what Elijah does. Uh, In fact, Elijah and God have the exact same conversation two times. Word for word, two times. They're within six verses of Scripture, verses 9 and 10, and then in verses 13 and 14, almost word for word, the exact same conversation. And I think God's trying to tell us something through it. So I'm not going to read it twice, but I'm going to read it once. But this is in two places right there, back to back almost. The Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? This wasn't my plan for you. I didn't want you to end up here. What are you doing here? And Elijah replied with this, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. True, he has. But the people of Israel have broken their covenants with you and torn down your altars. True, they have. And killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. False. He wasn't the only one left. That's not true. That was his opinion. That was his view of the situation. But that wasn't the truth. I'm the only one left. False. No, you're not. 
I've been doing all the work. False. I'm the only one who cares. False. No, you're not. I'm the only one who can get it done. False. See, it's almost all truth, but that one piece of false, that one piece of his opinion is what led him into that valley in the first place. I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one left. No, you're not. Because if you read a few verses later in verse 18, see, God says to Elijah, he says, the reality is, Elijah, there are 7,000 other Israelites who have not bowed down to the false gods of Baal. There are 7,000 others still seeking me and praying. You are not alone. Change your opinions for my truth. Don't believe the lies. Don't treat your opinion as truth. You are not the only one. And I begin to wonder, what would God say to us today? Some of the opinions that we've taken as truth. We're really good at it, right? Like, like coming up with opinions and treating it like it's truth in our life. But I think God wants to replace our opinions with his truth. Some of us, we, we think things like, my marriage will never be healed. Why? With God, all things are possible. Some of you, you might think, my kids will never come back to Christ. Why not? With the faith of a mustard seed, God can move a mountain. Some of you think, you know what, I, I'm not good enough. Where in Scripture did God ever tell you that you are good enough? He said, no, I, I'm good enough for you. He said, cast your cares on me. You don't have to be good enough because, man, I've, I, I am. I paid the price for you. You know, some of us, we may be here, we got this medical report that we have months to live. And I know this is like an extreme example, but in, even in this crazy example, is even something like that too hard for our God? No. No. But we take our opinions as truth, and God wants to replace that. See, so many of us have convinced ourselves that our opinion is truth. I'm going to be single forever. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm never going to find success. I can't make a difference. You don't understand. I feel like I'm the only one who cares. I'm all alone. No, you're not. There are 7,000 others just like you. There are people who care. There's a church around you who cares. There's a Holy Spirit who wants to comfort you. And then I think God is asking us the question he asked Elijah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why the anxiety? Why the discouragement? Why the depression? Why the uneasiness? This is not my plan for you. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You start replacing your opinions with my truth. And here's a, a little just antidote that, that was taught to me that I love, that I held on to. And I just want to leave it with you because maybe today you're going to walk away with one word, and that's okay. This is one word that can completely change your future moving forward. See, when we get emotional, when we get distressed, when we get discouraged, see, and we want, we're going to want to make decisions, but here's what you got to do. Halt. <laughs> Stop. Halt. H-A-L-T. Don't make those decisions when you're H-hungry. When you're A, angry. When you're L, lonely. And when you're T, tired. When you make decisions and you're feeling that, you're going to make an emotional decision. That's why, when, that's why Elijah fell so low because when he was speaking, when he said, God, take my life, he was hungry, he was angry, he was lonely, he was tired. And that's how he went from the peak to the valley in four easy steps. So if you're here and you find yourself and you're feeling just down, you feel some negative thinking start taking over, some stinking thinking. That's what my dad always called it. Stop your stinking thinking. 
If you're starting to feel this way or you're, you're feeling hungry or angry or lonely and tired, man, don't make a big decision when, when you're feeling that way. It's probably not going to turn. It's probably not going to be a wise decision. Halt. Stop. The last thing God does to help Elijah defeat the valley of depression is this. Or actually the third thing is God speaks in a still, small voice. He speaks in a still, small voice. What's crazy is Elijah was the one who called fire from heaven. He's the one who raised the dead. And when God says to come meet me on the mountain, I would expect God to come in a powerful way that I haven't seen. Man, tear the world up with an earthquake. Lord, send a tornado through here that's just going to blow this mountain up. God, send so much fire that it just consumes everything. And you know what? God does all three of those things. He sends all three of those things. But the Bible says, but God was not in the earthquake. He wasn't in the tornado. He wasn't in the high winds. He wasn't in the fire. And then in, in verse 12, it says, after that, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went and stood at the entrance of the cave. Because God was in that still, small voice. A gentle whisper. I think sometimes when we're at our lowest, God seems to speak the softest. See, sometimes it's not much. Sometimes it's just a word. But it's always exactly enough. It's exactly what we need, a gentle whisper. And I take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit still speaks that way. Because even as I'm up here, as I'm preaching God's word, and there's, you know, I'm not the, the greatest, most eloquent preacher in the world, but I know how God works and how his spirit works, that somewhere between me saying the word of God and preaching up here, the word of God, the Holy Spirit moves in and around it and behind it and between it, and by the time it hits your ears, it's exactly what you need to hear if you're listening to it. That's why in the past few weeks, it's been awesome. The past few weeks, there have been time and time and time again where many of you have come up to me and Pastor Chris and said, man, you preached it right to me. <laughs> Do you know my situation? Do you know what I'm going through? I don't know why everyone else was there because that was me. And you know what? The truth is, I don't know your situation. Pastor Chris doesn't know your situation. But you know who does? The Holy Spirit. And that's how he moves. And that's what he does. And he still speaks to us in this still, small voice. Maybe today he's speaking, saying, I'm here. I've not forgotten about you. I'm not giving up on you. You're not in this alone. What are you doing here? You, you found yourself in a place you never wanted to be, but I've still got a plan for you. And number four, the last thing that he tells Elijah to do to defeat the valley of depression, do your job. <laughs> right? That doesn't sound very spiritual, but that's what he says. He says, do your job. I've given you a divine appointment, and I want you to go do it. Verse 15, the Lord told Elijah, go back. Somebody say it with me. Say, go back. Go back. Go back. What are you doing here, Elijah? Go back the way that you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, here's what I want you to do. Anoint Haziel to be king. Anoint Jehu to be king. And anoint Elisha to be prophet. You know what? You know what prophets do? They prophesy and they anoint people. And when God tells Elijah to do something, he says, go back and do what prophets do. Do your job. Go prophesy. Go anoint somebody. Go and do what I've called you and asked you to do. And I believe God would tell us the same thing. God has asked us to do something. He's called you to do something. If you're still here, you're still breathing, you may be in the valley, but you are not defeated. You may be down, but you are not out. God still has something for you to do. So maybe he's telling us to go back and do what I've called you to do. 
Well, RJ, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a prophet. That's okay. What are you? Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Go back and do what a parent does. Are you a, a business person? You know what? Go back and do what a business person does and do it as though unto the Lord. Are you a person of prayer? You know what? Go back and start praying like a person of prayer would. Uh, do you have the gift of service? Go back and serve somebody. Do you have the gift of giving? Go, go and give uh, generously as though unto the Lord. Well, what is God calling you to do? Whatever he's called you to do, go back and do what he's asked you to do and watch as God breathes new life into you right as you do it. Go back. Do your job. See, it gives me so much comfort to see Elijah go from here to here, the highest peak to the lowest valley, because if a guy who got swept into heaven went through something like that, it makes me feel a little bit better when I go through something like that, because that's how life works. In fact, if I look at my life, my greatest moments, my highest peaks, my greatest messages, my greatest outreaches as a pastor and as a youth pastor, oftentimes are followed by some of my biggest valleys. In fact, let me give you four examples, four of, of my, some of my greatest things that I've ever done. I had a huge outreach one night. Tons of kids responded to Christ, and a fight broke out afterwards. Had another huge outreach. Lots of kids came to Christ. Awesome illustration. I'm like, yes, God, you moved. A kid pulled a knife out on another kid. I'm like, man, God, why? Why on this night? Why is it always on these big nights? Another huge outreach. It was awesome. It was awesome. But I went home, and all I could think about after going home was this one kid who came up to me and said, I don't think what you preached was biblical. It's like, man, but God moved, but why do I feel this way? Another one of my largest outreaches I've ever done as a youth pastor. Man, God, he did some awesome stuff in lots and lots and lots of students' lives. But afterwards, something happened. Some kids left and went to a park where it escalated into a shooting. And I look at these peaks, I look at these valleys, and I'm tempted to think, what's the point? I'm not making a difference. I'm no good. I'm just left feeling this way anyways. And maybe some of you are here, and you're tempted to think that exact same way. What's the point? I'm trying, I'm going, I'm doing my best, but it just doesn't seem to be good enough. And I believe today, as we close, God has one simple phrase for you. I believe that God has just one phrase of encouragement, one phrase that he wants to leave with you, one thing he's asking you to do. And here it is, keep your head up. You're in the valley of discouragement. You're in the valley of defeat. You feel defeated. Keep your head up. As a basketball player, as an athlete, this was the worst thing you could tell me. When I would lose, keep your head up. I'm like, okay, that doesn't help. Thank you. <laughs> but I believe God in a divine way is telling us to keep your head up. Keep your head up. Because as I read his word in Proverbs 121, verse 1, he says this, I lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. And here's what I realize. You can't lift your eyes up with your head down. You can't lift your eyes, so keep your head up. Look to the Lord. And you know what? If you have to look up to the hill, you know where that puts you? Right in the middle of the valley. <laughs> and you know what? Battles take place in the valley. That's why I call it defeating, uh, defeating discouragement, defeating the valley of depression, because it is a battle. Because when you're in the val valley, that's where battles take place. But keep your head up. Keep your eyes. Look, look, keep your eyes on the Lord, because that's where your help comes from. Your help is coming. 
You may be, feel depressed, but you're not defeated. You may feel discouraged, but you're not done. You may be, feel crushed, but you're not abandoned. You may be persecuted, but God has not given up on you. He has not forget, forgotten about you. Keep your head up. Will you stand with me all across this place? Keep your head up. Somebody, I think you just need to go through life. We've been putting our head down way too much. When I was a basketball player, for years, we would get tired on the court. We would play constantly on the court. And you know what? When I would get tired, our team, we always wanted to do this. <gasps> Put our hands on our knees and catch our breath. And our coach would never let us. He would look at us and he says, that's loser's position. We don't do that. And instead, we had to go like this. <sighs> catch our breath this way. Some of us, we are going through life with our head down in loser's position. No, keep your head up. God's not done with you. You may be in the valley. You may be in the valley of, of depression, discouragement. You may feel anxiety. You may have this feeling of how did I end up here? I don't want to be here. God loves you no matter how you got there, no matter if God led you there or if God or if you and your bad choices ended up in a place that made you feel that way. God loves you too much to let you stay right there. Maybe you feel like you're barely making it by. God's given us everything we need to get through that valley of discouragement. Let's pray today. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you that you've given us all we need to get through the valley of depression, the valley of discouragement. God, I pray that today you would be what we need. You'd be exactly what we need, Lord. Some of us, we've been wearing ourselves out. We've been shutting others out, God. We've been believing the lies and not your truth about our situation, about ourselves. And so, God, I pray today that we would keep our head up or that we would get some rest, that we would, we would recuperate physically and spiritually. God, encourage us today. Lord, thank you that our help is coming. Keep our head up because Jesus is our help and he's not forgiven us, forgotten about us. He is coming. We may be depressed, but we are not defeated because our help is coming. We may be overwhelmed, but God, we are not done because our help is coming. And our help comes from the Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us, or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.